Well, let's turn in our Bibles to the Gospel of Mark, and we're going to be in chapter 8 this morning. And as you're turning there, I read a story uh, that I thought was uh, funny, and it was a story about this man. He was, I believe, a reporter from New York City, and uh, he was doing a story on agriculture and farmers, and so he went down uh, south to visit a farmer, and this was not just, this was a farmer that... He, he was known, he was a forgetful farmer, all right? So he went down there to talk to this guy, and he was really impressed with this farmer because this farmer, when they were out showing all of his land and property and what he was doing, uh, he gave this loud whistle, and this, his dog appeared out of nowhere and herded all the cows and all the animals back into the barn, and, and the dog, even with her little paw, latched the barn door. And that guy was really, really impressed. He said, wow, what a dog. He said, what is her name? And the farmer just kind of had this blank look on his face. And you could tell he, he was kind of searching. And he said, um, all right, uh, what's the name of that, that, that red flower? It smells really good. And it's got thorns on the stem. And, and the city guy said, a rose? That's it, a rose. Hey, Rose, what do we call that dog? Well, all right. I tried it out on my wife. I said, you think they'll laugh at that? So uh, there you go. How many of you remember? Now, this, I was going to show the video, but I didn't. I decided not to. It was too painful to watch. How many of you remember about four years ago in the last presidential election uh, during the, when the Republicans, you know, they have, you know, they always have like 30 candidates, you know, running. But you remember a governor from Texas, Rick Perry, and in one of the crucial debates, He was on a roll, and he says, and I'm going to close down three agencies of the government, and he started naming them off until he got to the third one. He could not remember. He said, we're going to close education. We're going to close this. And he said, and the third one is, uh, uh, and and that was like the longest 48 seconds of national television. I mean, I watched it last night again, and it was just painful because you could... Just feel the, the, oh my goodness. And finally he just said, and somebody tried to shout out one, and he said, no, that's not it. And they were trying to help him. And the reporters are like, you can't name the third one. I mean, the guy went totally blank. And finally he just said, oops. And we still, I'm not sure if we ever found out what that third agency was. You know, it's one thing to be forgetful, but it's one thing to do it before millions of people on television. And this morning... Uh, we want to talk a little bit about forgetfulness and being reminded of something important. This morning, as we partook of communion, and Sean read the scripture, what Jesus said, do this in remembrance of me. And I've said many times that if I was Jesus' disciples and he said that, I'd be kind of taken back, like, remember you? I mean, this is the most powerful thing that's ever happened in our life. What do you mean, remember you? But We know within 48 hours or so, they were all fleeing and they couldn't remember, or selective memory maybe. But open your Bibles to Mark chapter 8, and uh, there's a lot here in this chapter, but before we read the scripture, I want to kind of zero in on this morning. Uh, Chapter 8 begins with another dramatic miracle in Jesus' life where he fed 4,000 individuals. Now, you've heard me mentioned this before, it was, could easily have been 8,000 or 10,000 because the custom in that time was to only count the head of the household. 
So it's probably a much greater miracle of this feeding over a few elements of food that Jesus did this dramatic miracle. And so it's following that that we catch verse... um, I'm trying to remember what I told them on the screen. Just go ahead and put it up there, what you have, and I'll try to remember. Yeah, we're going to start at verse 16. And it says this is right after this multitude, this miracle, this feeding. And Jesus says, or the scripture reads, verse 16... And they began, that's the disciples, and they began discussing with one another the fact that they had no what? Somebody didn't go to 7-Eleven and get bread, right? I mean, they had no bread, all right? Verse 17, and Jesus, aware of this, said to them, why are you discussing the fact that you have no bread? Do you not yet perceive or understand? Are your hearts hardened? Verse 18, having eyes, do you not see? And ears, you don't hear? And do you not remember? Don't you remember, verse 19, when I broke the five loaves for the 5,000 and how many baskets full of broken pieces did you take up then? And they said 12. Verse 20 says, and the seven for the 4,000 that just happened, how many baskets full of broken pieces did you take up? And they said Seven, and he said to them, do you not yet understand? Let's pray. Father, help our eyes and ears to hear your word today that, Lord, we confess we're so much like the disciples. We're so easily distracted, prone to forget. And Lord, let us be reminded of thy great faithfulness this morning, of what an awesome God you are and how faithful you are over our lives, we ask in Jesus' name, amen. Verse 16 and 17, that's where I kind of want to just land here this morning with this this scene of these disciples uh, worrying about where they're going to eat lunch or dinner or whatever it was. They didn't have any bread. Did you get bread? I didn't get bread. I mean, you can tell even from what's happened previously with the feeding of these crowds, they are always kind of flat-footed. They're unprepared because, you know, they're always going to Jesus, we got all these people. What are we going to do? You know, how are we going to feed them? How are we going to take care of them? And at one point, Jesus says, you guys figure it out. You figure it out. In other words, look, I can't tell you to do everything. You figure it out. But here they are after this, this is what struck me, this great miracle where Jesus supernaturally fed maybe eight, ten thousand 10,000 people over a few loaves and fish, and yet within the same moment, what are they worrying about? Where are we going to get bread? Where are we going to eat? As if they did not even... It's like they weren't even there. And that just struck me because we are so forgetful of the faithfulness of God. One of the things that is the charge of what the church does on Sunday mornings is to instill faith in the faithless because we are out there day in and day out. I don't care whether you're a pastor or whatever your job is, we, we trod the same dirt, the same ground, and we're battling the same devil, the same enemy, the same sin, all of that, and we're prone to forget that God is faithful in our lives that he has been trustworthy over every day, every day, Angela, that you've been alive. God has been faithful. Whether you knew it, recognized it, but I believe you, you can look back and see God's faithfulness. But we are prone 
to forget. And, and we forget God's faithfulness and we get so worried about something that we need, something that we didn't expect, uh, we begin to doubt God, right? Even though we have a long list of His faithfulness, we begin to doubt God. And consequently, is God really faithful over our lives? And this morning message we want to remember not to forget. Remember not to forget God's faithfulness. What do we do when we are facing our trials, our crises? What are we doing when, um, you don't have to put that up quite yet, we'll get to it in a second, but what are we doing when we're facing our uh, battles? What are we doing when we're facing things in our life that come at us that are unexpected? It's always the unexpected. Uh, the guy that pulls out in front of you on 98, barreling out of 7-Eleven, uh, you know, coming out, you know, at that, that uh, you know, intersection or, or, or somebody's backing up into you or you go out and get the mail and you see something from the, the, the county and you're, you're, it's some bill, something that you forgot to pay or maybe they reassess. I don't know, whatever it is, it's unexpected. You go to the doctor for the checkup that you've been procrastinating about for three years, because, you know, ignorance, we just figure if we don't know about it, then it's not going to happen. Anybody like that? Don't raise your hands. Uh, so, so, and then we get some news that we, we just, you know, it wasn't expected. And immediately, I think most of us fall into that pattern, whether it's something with our children, it, we feel that sense of overwhelming panic, fear, and we say, God... Did you see this coming? I mean, uh, God, where are you? And yet, if we just step back and think of the last 48 hours, the last week, the last month, how God has been so faithful in our lives in meeting our provision and meeting our needs. Yes, and even some of our wants. Aren't you glad God meets some of your wants? All I have needed, the hymn says. Well, all I have, sometimes some of my wants, he's blessed me with, okay? And so we fall into that pattern. The Bible, the Bible is our trustworthy guide to remind us that God is faithful. God is reliable. He's not sleeping on the job. The Bible says in Psalm 33, 4, For the word of the Lord is upright, and all his work, all his work is done in faithfulness. Lamentations, you know this. Maybe not the, the address, but you know where it says about His mercies, they are new every morning. Great is thy faithfulness. That's Lamentations 3, verse 23, right after Jeremiah. So this morning, I want us to look at some principles around remembering God's faithfulness. Remember not to forget. Say, remember, don't forget. How many of you ever... Your, your spouse or, or so your mom says, now remember, don't forget. Well, wait a minute. That doesn't sound, that makes sense. Remember not to forget. I, listen, I use my phone, my iPad. God bless the person that made sticky notes. I mean, I, I, am, I am so prone to just get, and my wife will tell you, I get distracted like that. And I'm not even thinking about something. I've got, I've got a little sticky note that when I'm here in the office and I make coffee, I have a little sticky note on my desk and big, that I pull out and I put it on my light switch in my office because I'm worried of leaving and leaving the coffee pot on. Because people in this church have done that. 
All right? And I don't want to be the one doing it. All right? So I don't want to be guilty of that. So I put that little sticky note on there because that would be something I would get distracted and I would just forget it. I'd fly out of here. Uh, I'm always putting little stuff out. If we run out in our home, if we run out of dog biscuits, we pay a price in our household. All right? And when we run out, I take the box and set it right on the counter to remind me I got to get that today. I mean, I listen, this is terrible. I have gone out at 10 o'clock at night to Dollar General because I don't want to deal with those mutts and their griping, all right? Yes, they do gripe. They do gripe, all right? But let's look at these principles on remembering not to forget God's faithfulness. Number one, these are real simple. And I would write them down, not because there's some profound thing I'm saying, but because I believe that if you are a believer here today, there's truth here, and you need to, you need, you know why you need to write them down? So you don't, there you go, you're already, you're already making A's. All right, number one, principles around remembering God's faithfulness, number one reason is, is because remembering is a response to faith. When we remember about God's faithfulness, it's a response of faith, of trust, when we recall, we remember. You don't have to turn to it, but there's a companion of this same scene in Matthew chapter 16. And in Matthew 16, it's the same account, but from Matthew's perspective. And the Bible says in Matthew 16, verse 7 and 8, gives us a little insight of something that we don't see in Mark. And it says, same thing, and they began discussing it among themselves, saying... We brought no bread. But Jesus, aware of this, said something here he didn't say in Mark. He said, oh, you of little faith. Why are you discussing among yourselves the fact that you have no bread? In other words, do you not realize what you have experienced, who I am? Why are you still lacking faith? So not remembering reveals a lack of faith on our part. The Bible says without faith, you can't please God. Faith is trusting and believing. But we do the same thing. We do the same thing. We panic. What's going to happen now? How am I going to solve this? What's going to happen here? Instead of recalling and remembering God's faithfulness and saying, God, by faith, I remember what you've done. Look at uh, in our passage in Mark 8, 17 through 21. Let me point out a couple of things. Here they are discussing, where are we going to get bread? Where are we going to eat lunch? Who, who brought bread? Okay, that's what they're in a panic about. They're, they're in a stir about. And what does Jesus do? He helps their memory. Look at verse 19. Uh, do you remember? He didn't say it because it wasn't written, but in Mark 6, we know this is where this happened. Do you remember when I broke the five loaves and fed the 5,000? Hello, were you guys there? What about what just happened? Verse 20. When uh, uh, the seven for, for the 4,000, I broke seven loaves for the 4,000 and had baskets overflowing. Do you remember? What's he doing? He's recalling, he's forcing their brains into a remembering mode to stir their faith. What are we doing here today? I'm causing you to remember so that you respond as men and women of faith. Jesus is saying, have you forgotten Already, remembering, it's how, it's how we exercise faith. It's demonstrating God's trust, His care over our, our life. You remember what Jesus taught back in the Sermon on the Mount, back in Matthew chapter 6? 
And he said, he said, I, he said I tell you, don't be anxious about your life. Don't be anxious what you're going to eat, what you're going to drink, nor about your body or what you will put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? What is our culture obsessed about? Everything I just read there. Okay? They are constantly marketing ways for you to be in a constant flux of discontentment with what you have. Well, that's not in style this year. Well, you know, it was in style 10 years ago, and I'm still wearing it, okay? I mean, they are the car. I told you my story when I got my first brand-new car. I wasn't even out on Virginia Beach Boulevard five minutes. And I said, and it was a Nissan Sentra. I think they were still called Nissan back then. I don't think it was a Datsun. They, you know, the name was changed, so it wasn't that far back. Some of you don't even know what I'm talking about. I wasn't out on Virginia Beach Boulevard, and I said, next time I want a Maxima. I'm in a brand new car, and I'm already complaining, and it just hit me. I'm like, how ungrateful can you be, all right? But Jesus said, don't worry about this stuff. And what does he say? Verse 26 of Matthew 6. He says, look at the birds of the air. The birds, they neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not more important than they? You bet we are. And which of you, by being anxious, panicking, worrying, can add a single hour to his span of life? Science has proven you may not be able to add to it, but you certainly can subtract from your life stress and tension and anxiousness and worry. Then he says, why are you worried about your... Or he says, why are you anxious about your clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God, here he's making the contrast. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? Therefore do not be anxious, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? He says, verse 32 of Matthew 6, The Gentiles... That would be the non-believers, the Gentiles, non-Jews, but for our terminology, it would be the unbelievers. He said the Gentiles or unbelievers seek after all these things. I'm not sure if it's the NIV that says they run after all these things. They're obsessed with all these things. That's the way our culture is. But your Father, your Heavenly Father, knows that you need them all. And Jesus puts the capstone on this passage But you seek the kingdom of God. But seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness. And what? All these things will be... Where's our priority? It's seeking first the kingdom of God. But what are we obsessed with? We're obsessed, do I have the guy and the horse with the mallet going in the right direction? Because if he's going in the other direction, he's carrying a flag, then they know I got it at this store. But if I have the guy and the the horse, then I know I paid... 18 times more for that shirt than I paid for it at this place when he, the horse is backward and he's carrying it. I don't know. You know, all those things. Do I, when I was a kid, the status symbol was Puma shoes. And then it was Nike shoes. Some of you know what I'm talking about. I remember when I used my dad's credit card without his permission to go into Alexander Beagle which was like the most expensive store in Virginia Beach. 
And I just thought, hey, you know, I just I thought I need a pair of pants and whatever. Well, these were pants that were way beyond the Sears Huskies. How many of you guys know remember those days? <laughs> or Garanimals, okay? All right, I advanced beyond that, all right? We weren't buying Sears Huskies. These were like, they were, I mean, at the time, they were just way beyond, you know, whatever. Because my brother wore that kind of stuff. And I wanted to be like my brother, you know. And I wanted a polo shirt, you know. Now, a polo shirt like this, you know. I mean, what, 80, 90 bucks, brand new? Unless you buy them at TJ Maxx. And even then, I'm so cheap now, I won't even buy them then. The point is, why do we do that? Somebody comes out and puts some little logo on something. And all of a sudden, you're Breaking down doors at Walmart to get the last of a, of a fake Yeti cup. Because I got to have it. How do you know that? Because I got to have stuff too. I have the same thing. We were in some uh, souvenir shop in Clearwater and they had these Yeti cups. And I thought, a $30 cup to keep my coffee warm. or you know, And then the next size was like $49. But there was something in me that I, I wanted that. I wanted that. Why? I don't know. I just wanted it. I wanted a cup that would keep things cold for weeks. All right? But then I thought, Tim, have you lost your mind? You're not going to spend $30 on a stupid coffee cup. Why? Because we just got this thing. We got to have it. If I don't have it, I'm not. Guys, come on. Get real. Jesus says, quit obsessing all over that stuff. Look at all that your heavenly Father has provided. A.W. Tozer made this statement. He says this. A.W. Tozer in his book, Knowledge of the Holy, which is about the attributes of God, wonderful book. He says, God, being who He is. We're talking about remembering God's faithfulness. God, being who He is cannot cease to be what he is. And being what he is, he cannot act out of character with himself. He is at once faithful and immutable. Immutable just means he doesn't change. So all his words, hear me, so all his words and acts must be and must remain faithful. Men and women become unfaithful out of desire, fear, weakness, Loss of interest are because of some strong influence from without. We could say the culture. And he says, God cannot be compelled by anything. He himself is faithful and he demonstrates faithfulness. And whatever he speaks and acts from within himself is by his own sovereign will as it pleases him. We can trust God. So when you are remembering, remember who God is. You're, you're, you're depressed. You're down, look up. You're you're not sure anybody cares, anybody loves you. Look up. Look at God. Expand your vision of who God is. Be like Isaiah that came in there in Isaiah 6. And he was bummed out because the king had been king for, I don't know, 30, 40 some odd years had died. And he said, in the year that King Uzziah died, but I saw the Lord high and lifted up. I was downcast. I was depressed. But I saw the Lord high and lifted up. And he saw those angelic beings crying out day and night, holy, holy, holy. You want to get out of the doldrums? 
expand your view of who God is and His love and His care for you. Remembering is a response of faith. But secondly, in this passage, we're not only called to remember, but secondly, review where God has been faithful. Review where God has been faithful. I think of Joshua 4, and I'm going to paraphrase it, but if you want to make a a note, Joshua 4, verses 1 through 8. Do you remember that it says that when all the nation had finished passing over the Jordan, okay? They're now crossing over the Jordan. They're getting ready to take the land that God had promised them. He he said, I already gave it to you, but now you've got to go take it. And they crossed over. This is what the word of the Lord told them to do. He says, take 12 men from the people, from each tribe, a man, and command them, saying, take 12 stones from here out of the midst of the Jordan, out of the middle of the water. Isn't it interesting that God often builds stones of remembrance out of that which was an obstacle in your life, interestingly. That's free. I didn't have that in my notes. Uh, He said, take 12 stones from here out of the midst or in the middle of the Jordan from the very place where the priest stood firmly and bring them over with you and lay them down in the place where you lodged tonight. I'll paraphrase the rest. What are they told to do? They've crossed over. There's this great victory. And they're going to take these stones as stones of remembrance. And the Bible says that they took these stones for the reason that, that they would be a reminder of God's faithfulness. When you look at your life and think about God's faithfulness, What are the stones of remembrance in your life that when you see it, it causes you to remember God's goodness and His grace? This ring that I wear, it's a graduation ring when I graduated from college. And you know what it reminds me of? It reminds me, one, of how God was faithful in providing my needs when I was in college. It was also a reminder of the fact that I couldn't afford to buy this ring and my brother bought my graduation ring for me. So when I wear it, I'm reminded of God's faithfulness to do something I never thought I would get to do. I got a GED out of high school. And yet, this showed me God not only will enable me to go to college, but financially provide for my needs in college. That is my, that's a little stone of remembrance. And people that know me know on my bookshelf here in the office, or I'm, I got all, and it's just trinkets. It might just be trinkets to you, But every one of those little trinkets is a reminder of something that God's done in my life. What are the stones of remembrance? What about the car you drive? What about your job, your home? What about a bill that He provided that you were having this meltdown and God made provision? What about a a physical healing? What about the the, the trip to the doctor in which the the situation was not quite as, as bad as you thought? What are those areas that were a specific answer to prayer? What about your children? What about your spouse? Gifts that are given by God that when you see them, when you think about them, and you recall the goodness of God. You remember the Bible tells us to recall the goodness of God, to remember... What are those stones of remembrance that need to jar your head, jar your memory? They were stones because you know what they're saying? You're saying they are stones of remembrance because God Almighty met me here. It may be a trinket to you, but it's a stone of remembrance because God met me right there. And my life was never the same. Remembering is a response of faith. 
Review where God has been faithful. And thirdly, recount God's faithfulness to encourage others. I don't think I have the encourage others on there, but you're recounting God's faithfulness in the sense that you're verbalizing it to go back to that Joshua 4 passage. They, they built these stones of remembrance, but chapter 4 verse 6 gives the reason. Chapter 4 verse 6 of Joshua, I'll just read it. You, you're to do this so that when your children ask in time to come, what do these stones mean to you? Mommy, Daddy, then you shall tell them. God enables us or wants us to have these stones of remembrance so that we recount God's faithfulness verbally, so that we articulate and say to others, listen, I know my God shall supply your need. Well, how do you know? Because he's, let me tell you, let me tell you a week ago, such and such of something God did. Wouldn't you hear people testify and give testimonies of God's goodness and God's faithfulness in their life? And if you're a believer, is there anybody that doesn't get encouraged and saying, you know what, if God can do that in Susanna's life, He can do that in my life. If God is faithful in answering the prayer of something that's much worse or maybe equal or whatever to my situation... You know what? That encourages me. I, I, need to, I, need to, I need to have more sense of believing that God is watching and caring over my life. I think I can believe God for that. Why? Because somebody instilled some encouragement, instilled some faith to believe and remember that God is faithful. Well, thank you. Unless you were swatting a fly or something, but that's good. Thank you. No. God's faithful. And sometimes the reason we say, write something down. Give a testimony. It isn't just because, you know, we just need you to make fill out stuff on a bulletin or whatever. It's because I know and others know that when you articulate God answering a prayer, and that's why I appreciate... You know, Cassandra came, last week we prayed for something, and this morning she came forward to say, God answered that prayer, and here's how he did it. Well, that encourages me. When anything I did, anything, but it was something that encourages me to pray. When in doubt, pray. Remembering God's faithfulness by recounting it. Recounting it, testifying, telling others, so that when people ask, what does this mean? And that's, let me just say this to moms and dads, or even grandparents, is that, Listen, what are your children hearing in the household? Is it a woe is me or it is a great is our God? Are they hearing, you know what, we're going to pray about this need. Don't be ashamed to say, hey, we've got a need, we've got this bill, whatever. And guys, come on, we're going to come together and we're going to pray. And it's so exciting because we're going to see how God is going to meet this need that we have as a family. And then when God answers that prayer, when God provides something, then you should tell them, recount God's faithfulness. Hey, you remember when mom and dad, we prayed because our dryer went out or something happened and we prayed, God help us, and here's how God provided. Here's something that God did. Remember, dad didn't have a job for a while and we prayed and look at what God has provided for dad's job instead of saying, yeah, I got a job, but I hate the people I work with. Is that what they're hearing from you? 
Are you recounting God's faithfulness in your home? And then we wonder when they hit 18, they don't want anything to do with the church. Where have they seen it modeled in the home? Where have they seen God's faithfulness modeled and demonstrated but by our lives? You say, well, I didn't get to do that with my kids. Well, if you have grandchildren, if you have nieces and nephews, you can start there. You can be the beacon of God's faithfulness in their life to instill in them faith that there is a God. Remember what it said in Daniel a few, I don't know if it was last week or week before, but when Daniel prayed to answer Nebuchadnezzar's dream, and he said, because all the magicians said, Nebuchadnezzar, oh Lord Nebuchadnezzar, nobody can answer this. Not even the gods can answer this. Well, in one sense they were, they, they were true. And then Daniel comes along, and he says, but there is a God in heaven who can reveal this dream. That's a testimony of God's faithfulness. How does he know that? Because Daniel had already seen God's faithfulness in his life in answering prayer. We need to recount. The psalmist says in 66.16, Come and hear all you who fear God, and I will tell what he has done for my soul. You see, the most verbal people, when we say, does anybody have a testimony? You always, if you're a child of God, you always have a testimony. If you can't think of anything else, you can say, I'm thankful that Jesus saved me. So when in doubt, you always have something to share. You always have a testimony. The psalmist says, I will tell what the Lord has done for my soul. He wrote in Psalm 71, verse 15, My mouth will tell of your righteous acts, of your deeds of salvation all the day, for their number is past my knowledge. What is he saying? I'll just talk because I can't even number the moments and times of your faithfulness in my life. I was thinking this morning as looking over my notes of Paul in Philippians 4. And it's in that section where he's speaking about, I know what it is to have a lot. I know what it is to be in want. I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. It's in that... But then he says at the, at the very end of that, he said this, writing to this church at Philippi. By the way, he's in jail when he's writing that. And he's talking about how I know what it means to you know, be content. I've learned the secret. Aren't you glad Paul learned some stuff? Learned the secret of being... But then he says, and I know that my God shall supply all your needs. What does he say? How's, how's that work? He's saying, I know that my God shall supply all your needs because of what he just recounted in the past three or four verses when he said that statement. Because I know that God is faithful and I've learned that I can do all things through Christ that gives me strength. And because of all that God has given me, I'm recounting it as I write, he said. Or that's my addition, sorry. I know that my God will meet all your needs according to His riches and glory. Well, how do you know that? Because I'm living proof, Paul says. David said, I will give thanks to the Lord with my whole heart. I will recount all of your wonderful deeds. You know, that's a key component when we talk about praise and worship. Praise and worship is just recounting the wonderful deeds 
of what God has done in my life. Remembering is a response of faith. Review where God has been faithful. Those specific places recount God's faithfulness. And last, number four, I want us to go back to Mark 8. Because and at the end of this dialogue, it won't be on the screen, but at the end of this dialogue, verse 21 through 25, there's a wonderful story that illustrates this very principle following this exchange with these disciples. And the fourth principle is restore your sight to God's faithfulness. Restore your sight to God's faithfulness. Look with me, chapter 8, verse 21. Okay, 21 just kind of finishes the hinge from the previous section. And Jesus said to them, the disciples, do you not understand? Like, I don't know what I'm going to do with you guys. Verse 22 changes the whole thing dramatically. And they came to Bethsaida. Now, there obviously had to be something going on in the white space between the end of 21 and 22. They're doing a little traveling. They're on the road. They're doing, you know, they're doing, they're moving because they come to Bethsaida. But if you haven't figured this out by now, things are not in the Bible just by randomness. The authors anointed by the Holy Spirit, and that's just why reading things instead of just a verse of the day, reading things and seeing what's before and after, you get a fuller picture of what is being said there. And to illustrate this, they came to Bethsaida. Mark recounts the story. And some of the people brought to him, Jesus, a blind man, and begged him to touch them, touch him. And Jesus took the blind man by the hand, and he led him out of the village. And when he had spit on his eyes and laid his hands on him, he asked him, Do you see anything? Now, let me just recommend that if you pray for somebody that needs help with their eyesight, I do not recommend this method. You're not Jesus, so don't try to do something stupid, all right? Uh, God may have to bring healing for a, for a fist through your face or something, all right? Uh, now, do you want to know why Jesus did this? How many of you want to know why? Raise your hand. Oh, come on. Don't fib on me. How many of you want to know why Jesus spit and put all this on his face? Okay, I do too, and I don't know why, all right? <clears throat> I don't know. I mean, I've asked MacArthur, I've asked all these people. They have no clue. It doesn't say anything. It's just speculation, all right? So there you go. What did he say? He, Jesus said, do you see anything? Look what he said in the verse 24. And he looked up and he said, I see people, but they're like walking as trees, okay? His vision isn't quite sharp. See, well, I, I see something. I see something a little more than I saw before. And they're like trees, walking, walking trees. That's like, okay. Verse 25, and Jesus laid his hands on his eyes again. And he opened his eyes, and it says that his sight was restored. And he saw, what? Everything clearly. Now, there's a reason, I believe, why that that account of the healing of that blind man is right there positioned right after this exchange with these disciples. Because the thing is, these disciples were not seeing Jesus clearly. 
They were still seeing Jesus like men walking as trees. They were, lived, they were right in front of Jesus. They were experiencing healings and the miracles. They would even gone out on a little weekend maneuver. Remember? And they came back excited over the healings and casting out demons and all those things. They were experiencing all these things. Remember when they were in the boat? And Jesus calmed the sea. And they went from being terrified of the storm to being terrified and said, Who is this man? There are men seeing Jesus like a tree. They don't have the vision. This account, this dialogue where they're worrying, Where are we going to get bread? The Holy Spirit puts this story of a real event of Jesus healing this man to illustrate the lack of visual clarity to Jesus or to the, of these disciples. They didn't understand who Jesus was. And he said, oh, ye of little faith. I don't, I don't understand. Don't you see what I've done, the miracles, and now you're arguing about where we're going to get lunch? Are we like that? You bet we are. We, you bet we are. And you know what? Lisa, I will not pronounce any medical terminology because the last time I did that on a PowerPoint, it was a disaster. So I will refrain from that, but I will speak as a layman. But I am sure in what you do, which is an optometrist, well, whatever, all right. You work with glasses, all right? All right, all right. Don't, eat, don't confuse me, all right? Just play along. I'm sure that you work with people that had gone so long with poor vision that they thought it was normal. They just adapted, right? They just, they just figured this is kind of... And then you, you start, you know, you, I don't know if you're the one flipping all those little gears and lenses or whatever, but I remember when I, got, when I had to get glasses, I remember I was at a baseball game and I was squinting to see the score. And the guy next to me said, why don't you get your eyes checked? And I remember when I put on, the first time I put on glasses, it was like, oh my goodness. I don't believe all that I've been missing. Things are so clear. Don't you want the Holy Spirit to give you a 2020 vision of what God is doing in your life and to see Him more clearly instead of all the mess that clouds our vision and we just stumble on because we think it's as good as it's going to get. Just, uh, you know, just, just hold my own. No. Just like he opened the eyes and it says that his sight was restored, we need our spiritual sight restored to see the faithfulness of God. I'm going to ask whoever's going to close us in worship this morning to come. God is faithful, and anyone who seeks Him, the Bible says, can find Him. Faith is a gift, but a gift has to be open to benefit and joy. As we remember God's faithfulness, implementing our faith, I believe that as we begin to do that, we realize more and more of the faithfulness and goodness of God in our life. The most positive 
faith-filled word people, and I'm not talking about stuff that is under the banner of faith. I'm talking about biblical faith that even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. Guys, that's faith. That's faith. You can yell at the valley, scream at the valley, speak over that valley. Guess what? It's still going to be there. But my shepherd says, I will walk you through that valley. May not be able to go around it, may not be able to get raptured over it, but Jesus says, I will walk. I'm the shepherd that I will walk through that valley with you. Thy rod and thy staff, those are tools of a shepherd, they comfort me. Psalm 23. The Bible says in 1 Corinthians 1.9, God who has called you into fellowship with His Son Jesus Christ our Lord is faithful. Paul said, No temptation has seized you except what is common to mankind, humankind. And God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted by what you can bear. And when you are tempted, He will also provide a way out or a way of escape so that you can stand up under it. Isn't that interesting language? We like the escape, but he says, no, no, no. I'll give you a way out so you can stand under it. Did you catch that? We don't want to walk through it. But God says, that's that's where you're going to see my faithfulness. God has proven his faithfulness in my life. Not from the high peaks of the mountain it's been in the low valleys of the lowest times that God has never left me he's never forsaken me he's never abandoned me he is a faithful God Paul said in 2 Thessalonians 3.3 the Lord is faithful and he will strengthen and protect you from the evil one one of the great promises for the believer is 1 John 1.9 If we confess our sins, He is faithful and just and will forgive us of our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. One last thought. I think sometimes the best illustrations come from the Bible. And as this morning, as I was looking over this, the Lord reminded me of in 2 Timothy chapter 4. 2 Timothy is the last... Uh, known uh, record of anything that Paul wrote. That was the last epistle, last letter that he wrote uh, before he was killed. And so Paul is writing this from prison. And these are his literal, when you come to chapter 4, these are his last words that we have that the Holy Spirit has put in Scripture for us to read of what Paul was thinking and what he was working through in his last days, last moments. It's in that passage where he's writing his friends and he says, uh, come before winter, bring my coat, because it was cold. The poor guy didn't have anybody around him to tend to his needs. He's having you ride. It said, bring my coat, bring my books, bring the parchments. And then he goes on, and you can read this some other time. He says, come to me soon. He says, and he begins to recount people that didn't treat him so right. You ever want to write some names and put some stuff on Facebook? And No, not you. You wouldn't do that. He says, Demas, who loved this present world, he abandoned me. And he goes on to speak about these individuals. 
He says, at my first defense, Paul, the apostle, said, Paul, at my first defense, he said, no one came to stand by me. You feel alone? Paul gets it. He was all by himself, abandoned. He said, all deserted me. The apostle wrote most of the New Testament by the Holy Spirit. But he says, may it not be charged against them. Everybody abandoned me. But then he makes this great statement. But the Lord stood with me. The Lord stood with me. You see, that's because he knew God's faithfulness. The Lord stood with me. So easy he could have just gone on and on blasting everybody. But you know what he said? At my lowest of low, everybody was gone. Everybody's AWOL. But the Lord was with me. Great is thy faithfulness. Let's stand to our feet as we sing that wonderful hymn, Great is Thy Faithfulness. Couldn't think of anything better to sing as we close this morning. Sing it like you believe this stuff. Come on. 